Well, good evening. Shall we get ready for our third message? Man, it's been good already. Jonah chapter number four. Jonah chapter number four. Genesis, Exodus, Jonah. That's where we're going to find ourselves. Now, I don't know how you are, but every time I see anything in Mexico, I want to go there. I'm telling you what, Mexico, what, what a wonderful culture. And they're very, very open. One of the most open countries you're going to find in the world. What a great investment. And what a blessing to see, to see someone who grew up there. He's still struggling with the culture, married into it, trying to help. But, uh, when you have someone who's grown up in a country, uh, he tries to play American, but he's not an American. He's a Mexican. Isn't that true? You married a Mexican, didn't you? The Mexican married a Mexican. And uh, that's that's what you want. You want to get them out of America. You want to get them back in Mexico. And that's a that's a good sign when you see a missionary who thinks like a foreigner. Because sometimes we make jokes about missionaries. Well, every time we make jokes about missionaries, because they behave like they're different. That's what you want them to be. You want to become different, like they're a foreigner. And uh, that's a successful missionary. If they go to a foreign country and they behave like they're from Statesville, it's not good. Since we've been in Trinidad, 18 years, we've seen 28 sets of missionaries come and leave. So, some of them couldn't say goodbye to mommy and nana and mima, whatever that is. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? God's call is so imperative. Family is secondary when it comes to obeying God. And God will always put you in the best place where He wants you. And if you have family that are missionaries around the world, what a privilege. What a privilege. It's not a sacrifice to be a missionary. It's a promotion. And uh, it's a privilege to serve God on any level at all. And I counted it honor to, to, to serve Him in any country in the world. But being a missionary is truly a blessing. You get to see God do incredible things. And uh, what, what a privilege. What a privilege. Well, we find ourselves in the book of Jonah. And if you can stand, that would be great. If you can't stand, I understand. We're going to read just a few verses. And um, we'll try and get to the message. Um, right now it's 7.50. And uh, I, will, I will do my best to hurry. I know many of you are tired. I am. I went out to eat. They fed me for three hours. They call it counseling. <laughs> the reason the South will never rise again is because of buffets. <laughs> it's not physically possible. <laughs> and is it true? I tried to walk to my car and I couldn't even find it. But uh, <clears throat> And they call it counseling. You know what I'm talking about? But anyway, we had a great time. And I know you're tired, so it's 7.50 right now. I promise I'll be finished by, um, well, I'll be finished as soon as I'm through. You have my word on that, all right? <laughs> Jonah chapter number four, the most incredible revival you see in the Old Testament, has just taken place. Possibly as much as 1.2 million people have repented and turned to God. And uh, we start reading in chapter three. In verse 4, where Jonah had entered into the city, he had gone a day's journey, and he preached his message, and that was 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Verse 5 and 6, 
the people and the king, they proclaimed a fast and they put sackcloth and ashes. And they sat in ashes and then in verse 7, and he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let men and beasts be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God, yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and change away from his fierce anger that we perish not? God's response, verse 10, and God saw their works that they turned from their evil way and God repented of the evil that he had said he would do unto them and he did it not. The preacher's response. You see the people's response, God's response, now the preacher's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he was very angry. I want to preach on this thought today, looking at the enemy and seeing myself. Father, I pray that you take the word of God and the truth from this four short chapters of an honest preacher who lived down a disobedient life. That disobedience endangered all those around him. Now, Father, I pray that we can learn a vital lesson from the book of Jonah. And I pray that you would teach us that this life is not about us, it's all about you. Bless our obedience, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. When you read the book of Jonah, many people say the book of Jonah is about the great fish. But unfortunately, over in the book of Jonah, that whale is only mentioned four times. Some people say the book of Jonah is talking about the greatest city that that, that uh, was known at the time. Some people credit it with being 900,000 to 1.2 million we do not know. They have found the ruins of Nineveh. But this book is not about the city of Nineveh, even though it is mentioned nine times. Some people think it's about the preacher. The prophet Jonah wrote this book himself. And, you know, it's as you write an autobiography, most people like to write from their own perspective. And when people tell stories, they usually embellish slightly and inflate slightly and exaggerate plenty. But this preacher had it in reverse. He did not look good when you look at this book. And uh, some people say it was about Jonah, but Jonah was mentioned 18 times. This book is not about Nineveh. It's not about the whale. It's not about Jonah. This book is all about God. And he's mentioned 38 times in this book. We find ourselves in chapter 1. It says, now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah. The name Jonah means dove, the son of Amittai. Amittai means truth. And you see his call in verse number two. God said, arise and go to Nineveh. Nineveh is just outside of Iraq. That great city and cry against it for their wickedness is come up before me. God hates sin. Let me say it slowly. God still hates sin. Okay, so God says, okay, Jonah, this is what I want you to do. You arise and go. Jonah was God's man. He had God's message. He was supposed to be on God's mission. Okay, when God's word comes to you, how do you respond? We see how Jonah responded in verse number three. The first two words, but Jonah. 
That word but is a conjunction. A conjunction is like a bridge. It has a story on one side. You cross the bridge. There's the response on the other side. God said, arise and go. And Jonah rose up to flee. Have you ever gotten fleas? When God says go and you put on your running shoes. His name meaning dove, he flew as fast as he could from the will of God. You think about it for a minute. Each of us at some point in time have been a Jonah in our life. When God said do and we said no. And his response, God said something. He responded by running. And uh, uh, Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. And he went down to Joppa. That was 55 kilometers away from where he was. And he found a ship going to Tarshish and he paid the fare thereof and he went down into it to go with him unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Now you see uh, God's command, Jonah's response. Now when it's kind of like a chess game, God makes a move and you make a move. Now remember, God's will is not multiple choice. It's obedience or disobedience. Remember, God's will is like building blocks. You do God's will today. And God will show you the next step tomorrow. And he'll show the next step in a year later. And next step. And the reason someone has been successful for 20 years is because they did God's will today. And then they get God's will next month. And the reason they're faithful in serving God 40 and 50 years later is because they had building blocks on top of building blocks of obedience. You don't suddenly arrive at God's destination in the middle of God's will without living in God's will today. And God responds, and he says, Jonah, you want to rise up and flee? Go ahead. But look at verse 4. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. You know, have you ever been tempted to run from God? You ever ask yourself some questions? If I run from God, where are you going to run to? I hear people all the time, well, you know what? God called me to do this. And I argued with God. Is there anything more stupid to make public? We were negotiating. Are you Donald Trump? I don't understand. Since when has God ever lost a deal? God has never been fired. Who qualified you to tell God maybe? Anyway, that was free. But the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. So many people want to run from God. Thinking that they're going to actually make a good decision. People don't realize when you run from God, you literally become the enemy of God. That's what we choose. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. If many, any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. James 4. What? No, you're not adulterers and adulteresses. The friendship of this world is enmity or separation from God. You run from God, you become an enemy of God. And you ask yourself, where are you going to run to? You're going to run back into the world? Is that where you really want to go? Where are you going to run to? Back into a wrong relationship? Uh, back to wrong advice? Back to mediocre Christianity? Where is running from God going to take you? And he comes there in verse 4. God responded, and he sent out a great wind in the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so the ship was like to be broken. Now, here's what God is. God, the Bible says in, in chapter 1, was the maker of the ocean, maker of the, of, of the wind. 
So what God did is he called, he called the, the east wind to blow west and the west wind to blow east, north wind to blow south and the south wind to blow north. And he says, here we go. Well, let me set the GPS and right there, aim for the prophet. Has, has, has God ever put a wind down you? It was so devastating. The sailors said, this is of God. This is no accident. But who on this boat is causing this storm? I used to work on fishing boats and crab boats in Alaska. And I've been in some storms. But I'll tell you something. When the, when the, when the mariners knew that this storm was from God, they were looking for the person who caused it. Have you ever been in a storm in your life and you knew it was you? It's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Not my brother, not my sister, but it's... Let me ask you a question. Have you ever had Jonah on your boat? And the storm came? You know, some of you may have Jonah on your boat right now. The best thing you do is get Jonah off your boat. I don't link up and I don't fellowship with people that are running from God. I'm not going to put Jonah in my world, in my life, because when the storm comes, it will mash you up. The judgment of God will fall on Jonah, but it will mess up my life. You get a Jonah on your boat. Whoa, you're in trouble. These mariners were having a difficult time because they had let Jonah on their boat. There's some things in our life that can be a Jonah. And if we let it into our life, it will destroy us. You ever watch someone who got backslidden like Jonah? They were disobedient to God's will. And you ever watch them reach a point in their life where they were destroyed by bitterness and anger to the point where they wanted to take their own life? Well, we're in chapter one. We see a preacher had that same dilemma. Look what he says. This is introduction. You stay with me for the introduction. I promise you the message will be finished quickly. The men were exceedingly afraid. Verse 10. And said unto him, why hast thou done this? These are pagan men trying to fix the preacher. For the Lord knew that he fled because the, from the presence of the Lord because he told them. And they said, what are we going to do to calm this sea? He said, here's the solution, verse number 12. And he said unto them, take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm unto you. For I know that for my sake, this tempest is upon you. Okay, now the preacher becomes suicidal. When you walk in disobedience to God, Satan makes you think there is no hope and no repentance. And you're always going to be a slave to sin. And when you believe there's no hope, people reach the point where they're accepting suicide as an option. Jonah is sitting here on a boat. He does not know there's a whale going to be on his tail. All he knows, there's a storm. To stop the storm, i got to get off the boat. He is in the middle of the ocean. He's not swimming to land. He's going to die. He's going to commit suicide. I will tell you, I have seen several dozen times Christians, pastors, pastor's wives, Deacons, missionaries reach the point where they're running from God, where they tried to take their own life. Now, if spiritual leaders can reach that point. Well, don't 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 look at me like that, because Jonah was there. Everybody can reach that point. 
Disobedience will destroy everybody. There is no exceptions. The problem here in the book of Jonah was the heart of Jonah. And it says, nevertheless, the men rode. Even these pagans were trying to save him. Verse 15, so they took up Jonah and they cast him forth into the sea and the sea ceased from her raging. Can I tell you this? When you get Jonah off your boat, you're going to have some peace in your life. You've got disobedience in your heart. Let me tell you, you'll be miserable till you get rid of it. If you've got unforgiveness and you've got bitterness, your life is going to be frustration. It's going to be fed up. But when you get clean and you get clear, woo! I'm telling you, it gets sweet. You can take your burden off your back. You can smile again. The joy of the Lord can be your strength again because sin will sour your spirit. Sin will steal your witness. Sin will solidify your bitterness and you'll blame others just as Jonah was doing. Now, God put a whale in his tail and look what happened. Verse number 17. God is the same God who prepared the storm. Now prepared a whale. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He had personal revival in chapter 2 after he he went to hell there, the Bible says. And the fish vomited him up in verse number or chapter 3. And the word of the Lord came again unto Jonah the second time. Now, let me just say this again. I'll tell you what I like the best about this book. That my God is a God of the second chance. <laughs> you know, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's angels and angel lesses here. And I praise the Lord for you. But I don't know anybody that God has ever used that was perfect. All God has had to work with is sinners that are failed and fallen and broken. Have you ever looked in the Old Testament who God used? You probably wouldn't let many in the Old Testament in your church. You, you start thinking about, listen, would you let David in your church? He caused the genocide of 75,000 people. For 20 years as he was running from running from Saul, he behaved like a terrorist with 400 ISIS. And they traveled the trails and they uh, 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 behaved like marauders and killed people and stole what they had. They played Robin Hood. How would you think of a man who who takes your wife and then tries to kill you or kills your best friend? You know, they're walking to church. You're going to look at your family and say, watch that guy over there. Everybody watch him. Yep. Well, he, pastor, he was a man after God's own heart. I understand what the Bible says, but here's my, uh, my truth. You look at the Bible uh, and you can go through people from Job. Job was full of pride. David, by, by the way, he was an adulterer. But you know what God does? God uses us the second time. And when he got done, he wrote Psalms 51. And I don't know where your life has got you right now, but I'll tell you, if you run to Psalms 51, you can find some grace as sweet and sweet and precious. 
I mean, you can look at, look at Samson. He, he, he had the thing for the ladies, if you know what I'm talking about. But I'll tell you what God did. God used him to turn the nation around. Look at Abraham. He was a, he, he was, he, God found righteousness, but he, he pimped out his wife. Is there a more southern way to say that? She is, she is in the palace of the Egyptian leader. She's waiting specific days and she's going to marry him. And Pharaoh is giving him manservants and lady servants and oxen and horses. And he's smiling, walking down the road with his bounty. And she's calling out the window and saying, happening, boy? What's, what's the story? What are you doing? You're setting me up. John Mark quit, but God used him again. Peter denied Christ and he cursed. And he said, I ain't done. I'm going back fishing. And when Jesus rose again, he said, hey, tell the disciples. And oh, by the way, Peter too. I'm here to say we have got a good God. And I praise God. He's the the God of the second chance. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time. Now it came in chapter 1 the first time and he ran. Now the second time. And he said, arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach against it. And Jonah's response once again. And Jonah arose and went into that Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now uh, uh, this was the opposite direction he went before. Uh, Blessings from God always come. After you obey him. He ran from God. God enrolled him in Whale University. He got a PhD course and he said, okay, I learned my lesson. Isn't it a blessing when we learn our lesson? Because some people never learn. Now we get to our, to our, to our, to our, to our message in chapter number four. Revival took place and it displeased Jonah exceedingly. And he was very angry. And here's what he did. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, and he's justifying his backslidden condition. He said, therefore, he said, I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful He said, I knew who you were and slowed anger and of great kindness and repentest thee of the evil. Now, therefore, he says, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it's better for me to die. I've just seen the greatest revival in history. You don't know what I'm going through. And God says, you need a checkup from the neck up. That's in the Hebrew. Look what he says, verse 4. The Lord said to him, dost thou well to be angry, idiot? You know, I have been in church and I've seen people get saved and you couldn't find. I've seen Christians that couldn't even get excited about someone's salvation. I mean, they sit in church, they fold their arms, they just stare straight ahead. This is just, okay, try and bless me. Give, Give me the best you got. Come on, come on, just see if you can bless me. I'm, I'm sorry, but you couldn't find a blessing with a search warrant. 
And God looks at him and says, are you serious, Joe? Nah. Do thou well to be angry? Come on. So Jonah went out of the city and sat on the east side. He was from the east side. <laughs> and there he, he sat in the city and made him a booth and sat under it in the shadow till he might see what would become of the city. And the Lord, okay, this is the same God that prepared a wind. This is the same God that prepared a whale. This is the same God that prepared the hearts of, of, of the king of Nineveh. And the Lord prepared a gourd and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shadow over his head to deliver him from his grief. So Jonah was exceedingly glad of the gourd. Verse 7. But God prepared. This is the same God that prepared a wind and prepared a whale and prepared a gourd. But God prepared a worm that when the morning rose the next day, it smote the gourd that it withered. And it came to pass when the sun did arise that God prepared, hold it, this is the same God that prepared a wind and prepared a whale and prepared a gourd and prepared a worm. Now he's preparing a wind. And the same God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat upon the head of Jonah, that he fainted and wished in himself to die, and he said, it's better for me to die than to live. And God said unto Jonah, you understand, this is the third excuse for suicide. And God said unto Jonah, dost thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. You, you know, here's what we like to think. We like to think because someone did me something, I have a right to do something back. I have a right to act like a non-Christian because someone hurt me. And here's a pastor behaving like a Gentile. Here's a pastor behaving like he has a right to do wrong because someone has done wrong to him. And look what he says. And then the Lord said, thou hast had pity on the gourd for the which thou hast not labored. Neither madest it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. Why should I not spare Nineveh, that great city, wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot descend, discern between their right hand and their left hand? He's saying there's 120,000 people that don't know whether they're children, whether they have a, a, a learning problem, whatever it is, they don't even know their right hand from their left. If there's 120,000 people that are at that age, there could be 1.5 million people in this city. Do you understand? He says, why should I kill them? Because of your stinking attitude. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem in the book of Jonah was not the boat. It was not the whale. It was not Nineveh. It was not Israel. The problem in the book of Jonah was N Jonah. The problem in 2019 is not America. It's, it's not the problem in 220 countries around the world. It's not a language problem. It's not a culture problem. Ladies and gentlemen, the problem in 2019 is, is not a financial problem. The problem in 2019 is still us. We can point our finger and blame other people. And we can blame politicians. And we can blame excuses. But ladies and gentlemen, the greatest need in the world is still missionaries. And God is still calling people and people at a greater level than I've
I've ever known in my life for saying no to Almighty God. God still wants to use people in a great way to make a great difference. But people have accepted the fact that they think they have a right to say no. You ever look at the enemy and see yourself? My greatest problems are not the Hindus. My greatest problems are not the Muslims. My greatest problems are not the Pentecostals or the Catholics. My greatest problem, ladies and gentlemen, that I deal with, I have to look at when I shave my face every single day when it comes to successful Christian living. My church's greatest problem is not the choir. It's not the secretaries. Possibly the ushers. (laughs) The church's greatest problem where I'm at If they had a better pastor, they would do better. You know, sometimes I look in the mirror and I can blame everybody around me. But how often the problem is me. And when it comes to world missions and reaching people around the corner and around the world, ladies and gentlemen, the problem is someone who will step up to the plate and say, I'll do it, Lord. I'll go reach that ministry. I'll go teach that class. I'll be available. I will be willing. I want to give you several thoughts quickly. God's grace, first of all, is for whosoever. The very people that Jonah did not like fell into the shadow of the grace of God. Has that ever happened in your life? Someone you don't like, God loved? A culture or a color or a creed that you weren't so especially fond of? God's grace landed on top of them just like it landed on top of you? Oh, I've had people say, I'll go anywhere but that country. I don't like that color. I don't like that language. I'll just tell you what, my God loves the whole world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. If I can have a little heart of God in my heart, and I have a love for people of all colors and all creeds and all races, listen, that's my goal in life. It's those kind of people. You know what God will do? God will expose your prejudices. And God will expose your biases. And God will expose the fact that you grew up in a small-minded behavior. And God wants our mind to increase so our mind thinks like Jesus Christ and not like our culture. The most dangerous thing for world missions that keeps people back from doing great things for God is their culture. Well, honey, this is who I am. I was born this way. I'll die this way. Suck it up. (laughs) I used to be funny. (laughs) Now hold it. It doesn't matter where you go in the world. Everybody's got a culture. God has called us to move past culture to change. God doesn't want us to be small-minded and singular in our culture. When I see someone who's Asian, I want to develop Asian culture. Just like that. When, when I see someone who's African, well, there's no country called Africa. 
but there is a continent called Africa. It's got 52 countries and six territories. And, and every one of those countries is different. And every tribe in each of those countries is different. And, and, and I want to learn about the Shona tribe. And I want to learn about the Zulu tribe. And I want to learn something from their language so I can be more effective in reaching them. I don't want to be so small-minded that this was the culture I was raised in and I can't function outside of it. I want to think like God thinks. And God is not a national, He's an international. And I don't want my identity to be just in my state or my nationality. I want my identity to be in my salvation through Jesus Christ. Some people fight down socialism and capitalism and communism and 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 I understand all the arguments, but ladies and gentlemen, we'll spend more time fighting down social theories instead of giving out the gospel. You go to any third world country that I know of, almost exclusively. There may be a couple exceptions, and there is they're all socialists. And many have worked very hard at staying that way. But if your mission is to try and converse, convert them from socialism to capitalism, let me understand, let me explain something quickly. It doesn't matter if you're a socialist or capitalist. If you leave God out of the dynamic, you're going to be bankrupt morally. And you can go and argue those arguments all day long and watch people die and go to hell, but you give them Jesus Christ and you become a difference maker. Man, I'll tell you. You know how much fun it is to walk into the Amazon, walk into a village of Amerindians, and you're tall and white, and you want to sit down with people with unwashing hands and eat food that's unwashing, and you're saying, God, this is not, this is, this is an opportunity of adventure. (laughs) Give me more. I made, I think I, I think I made 40, uh, 40 or 41 trips to Mexico. And I, I got, think I got sick 39 out of 40 times. I'm dead serious. But my, one of my favorite countries to go to. If you've never gotten a good sickness where everything on your insides wants on your outsides, you've never experienced the joy of Christianity in a foreign country. God's grace is for whosoever. And when God's grace covers your enemy, it exposes our prejudices and our bias towards God's grace. And God will use the mirror of our life to expose who the true enemy is. And for us to be a successful Christian, we've got a functional reality that says, there's things that I need to change in my life so I can be effective at loving and reaching other people. Let me just say number two, God's will must be obeyed. You say, why? Because there is a real purpose that's much bigger than we'll ever understand when it comes to God's will. Doing God's will is not just giving a one, two, three, here's the gospel. God's will is literally set in place many, many generations before you were born. We're talking about a sovereign God who influenced someone possibly hundreds of years ago to affect someone in your life who affected your parents, who affected you, so you can affect your children and grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren. And things of obedience you do today affect 40 years from today. 
This book was not about Jonah. This book was not about, it was not about the mariners. It was not about a whale. It was about God's will is so much bigger than where we are. And God uses us even in our sin and our wickedness to help us get right, to embrace the grace of God sweeter, and to watch God's will be done. The Ninevites, they worship a God called Dagon. You know what Dagon is? Dagon's a fish god. They had a story in the worship of Dagon that the next god would come from a fish. You know where Joah came from? Fish came up and spit him out and people took two looks and said, we know this story of this guy. They unearthed the remains of, of mounds that talked about Jonah coming to Nineveh. In their language, it describes the person named Jonah who has come. And in their story of the worship of Dagon, they knew that somebody was coming from a fish and was the next God. Do you think there wasn't a reason they didn't stop and pay attention and listen? Because God is the master weaver and he works behind the scenes to make even the bad things in our life be used for his honor and for his glory if we get right with God and give him a hundred percent. God's will must be obeyed because it's so much bigger. There's a greater purpose at it than we think. And, and God's will is not just designed for us to do things because we can be, before we can effectively do God's will, we first must be God's will. And all the process of doing God's will is to develop us to be God's will. And in that process, God exposes our flaws to us. Now, here's, here's what he does. God already knows our weaknesses, our besetting sins, and the problems we deal with in our life. And he'll let us fall and fail to expose those to us so we can be honest about it and change. Would you say amen? Can you embrace your failure? Because it's your opportunity for future success. God wants us to focus more on being God's will than doing God's will. Let me give you the last thought, or maybe close to the last thought. God's will and God's way is always to change us. Much more than when our enemies try and change us. Most of our battles that go on in our life because we have a falling out with someone, we're upset at someone, we don't like someone, uh, our envy and jealousy, someone's got status or rank and, and we didn't get something, someone got more likes than we got, someone sang a better solo than we sang. I can play, listen, I don't know if you guys saw that, but I can actually play um, that little guitar on his shoulder. Much better than he can. It's, isn't it amazing how it just takes us a microsecond for our pride and our envy and our jealousy? Satan knows how to pluck it just like that. Just like a long hair off the tip of your nose. And that thought you didn't plan or premeditate just came right to your heart. And doing God's will exposes the flaws in our life. God's way is to change us. And our enemies expose the real us. And it's vital for us to embrace the real experience. This is where my flaws are. God, would you help me change? 
Now, personally, my personal opinion, I believe that Jonah changed. The reason I say that is because when I read the book of Jonah, and I know he wrote the book of Jonah, I think he was honest. And when you've got as much pride as he had and as much bitterness as he had in this book, I believe for him to be honest, he had to have some personal revival. But but the, the story is much bigger than what we think. The story right here is when God handpicks our enemies for us. It's a very hand of God that reached out and says, I've got a perfect enemy to deal with your issues. I have got someone you're definitely not going to like, and I'm going to put them in your life. What's God trying to do? Expose the real enemy. And that real enemy is you. And that real enemy is me. And if I can get victory over the real enemy, we can make progress. And here God handpicked God's will for him. And I understand the people were wicked. The Ninevites were cruel. They specialized in, in taking people's skin off and making purses and wallets and decorations on a human skin. These were wicked people. They would, they would see how long they could take the skin off and keep the person alive. They would see how long they could make a person suffer. They would cut off body parts one at a time. Slowly. These were cruel people. They would, they would lacerate you with knives. So you're slowly bleeding and they would stake you on over an ant pile. These were cruel people. They would, they would create different objects of different shape and embed someone's body and see how slowly their body could slide down that object as it tore through their intestines. These people were so disgustingly cruel when they were going to attack a foreign country or city. Smaller cities in their path. Literally entire towns and villages would commit suicide knowing they were coming. And then God said, arise and go. You know, God's will is to change us and teach us vital lessons. And they've been handpicked by God, those enemies have. And God's motive is not just the Ninevites, but he's always got a bigger motive. When God's trying to expose us, it's not about that person you have a falling out with and that person you don't like and that person you can't forgive. He's exposing the pride in our life. I remember the day when immigration knocked on my door and they said, you have 48 hours to leave the country. We found out a person that we helped tremendously, he called himself a pastor, had wrote letters of, of ill and lies to the immigration department they didn't even investigate. And they canceled our work permit, done in fraud. And I said, God, if you're trying to move me, you, you just have to tell me and I'll leave. And God laughed at my joke because he didn't think it was funny. And he said to me, if I was trying to move you, I would have. But that person that, that we had helped tremendously, who appeared to be an enemy, you know what God was doing? God was exposing the real me. And when that person wrote lies and, and hired 
people and paid bribes for them to harass us. He forgot that there was a God in charge. And we watch God move through leadership in the country to sort everything out in a way that only God could do. And here I'm thinking, this is just an issue with me and him. And I had put up with this for, for nine months, and people had said, listen, this person's after money, and this person had charged the corruption in the government. This person wanted to be the pastor of the church, and that was the reason everything had happened. Now, the church wasn't mine. It belonged to God. And I watched the process. I sat in front of police and I sat in front of investigators and and they asked the questions and they asked him the questions. And I watched God expose the real problem. And God took care of all of it. But you know what? God was doing much bigger than the problem that I saw. God was doing something inside of me. And God was trying to teach me, this is not about you. This is all about me. And it wasn't until I was able to thank God for the trial and thank God for the problem and thank God for the difficulty and thank God for the opposition and thank God for these individuals. And when that happened, guess what God did? God gave me freedom. The picture was much bigger and people didn't even realize and I didn't realize it wasn't about me and these people. It was about me. Trusting God with greater faith than I've ever trusted him before. And I watched God over the next few months after that had taken place and after victory came through. I watched God work in the heart of leaders in government. Long story short. First time that we knew it happening. God gave us residency in the country where they said missionaries can't get residency. And through the process, God put people in our lives that God was able to use to bless us in such a way where we didn't have to leave the country again. But you know what the big picture was? The big picture wasn't me or him. The big picture was there's a God and he's going to expose the flaws I have and the pride I have in my life. And I need to respond and humble myself and say, God, thank you. This is not me. This is all you. For me to be effective, this isn't my ministry, this isn't my church, and this isn't my territory, and I do nothing at all comes because of God of grace. I watched God do this. You know what took place right here with Jonah? Now, I've been done for ten minutes. Jonah was preaching before he went to Joppa. And the nation of Israel was rebellious. They were unrepentant. They were wayward and they were away from God. God was teaching Jonah, if I can send you to Nineveh and you can have the greatest revival in history in Nineveh, these people of Israel can get right with God too. The lesson was much bigger than just the whale. The lesson was much bigger than just catching a a boat and running from the presence of God. The lesson was bigger than he ever imagined. And if God can reach down to the most unlovable people and save them, 
God can save the people right here around the corner. And your neighbors, and the people you work with, and the people you witness to that said, no, 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 no. God loves that opportunity to reach one more soul. You know what the need is? The need is someone. This is where this book is all about. Not about the Ninevites. Not about the whale. The problem here was Jonah. 2019. That's the problem right here. If I can get me right, God can do great things. Would you stand to your feet tonight? Father, we appreciate how you work in incredible ways. Sometimes I look at my enemy and I see myself. Father, I pray you would help me get out of the way so you can be effective in my life and through me. Father, as we've spoken a truth, four chapters in a few minutes tonight, might this church look at the Holy Spirit of God and say yes. Might changes take place today in each of our hearts. Jesus' name.